0: Welcome back to becoming your best version I am the host Maria Leonard Olson I am an attorney podcaster radio show host journalist and author based in Washington DC this podcast becoming your best version is my way of honoring and amplifying women's voices I love to interview the people that I meet on the road to happy destiny. And today I have a really interesting guest, Hara Allison, who is joining us from Idaho. Hara is a storyteller through photography, design, and her podcast, See Beneath Your Beautiful. On her podcast, guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. Hara embraces these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. Despite a traumatic childhood, including sexual abuse at a young age, and her mother passing away at the age of 46. Hara finally found her worth and wishes that for others, they see their beauty and the light they were meant to shine. Hara is an adventurous award-winning photographer who's located, as I said, in the Pacific Northwest, but is always available for worldwide travel. Her clients believe in her ability to tell their story. From that vulnerability and trust comes honest images that make them feel understood and confident. She calls it an honor every single time to photograph her clients. Check out the show notes for links on how to follow her and contact her which include hara.photography and seebeneathyourbeautiful.com. Welcome, Hara. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited that we finally got together. We have so much in common that I scarcely know where to start. But let's start with your photography. I encourage all of you listeners to look at Hara Allison photography. Her arresting images are stunning. And... I know a little bit about your story of how you got started in this artistic medium, but will you share with our guests how that came to be?
1: Yes, actually. um, Well, so from a young age, I always loved photography and would use my father's camera and take better pictures than him. So, and then Mm. even in in high school, I owned my own darkroom. And After college, I got a degree in advertising and I was in graphic design, but I still was passionate about photography. And I was living in Miami at the time. And I went to a photo studio in Miami and was going to apprentice there. That's, I mean, I just wanted it so bad. And I was really intimidated that I wasn't smart enough to know how to do the lighting and for 30, I let that, I let the idea go. And for 30 years, I didn't do photography. Wow. But a couple of years ago, I went to a conference in Toronto about, well, I didn't know what it was about. I was hoping to be kind of like re-inspired about my graphic design work. I'd been doing it for almost 30 years at that point. And it was about dreamers. And by the end of the weekend, at first I was thinking, well, it's for everybody else, not me. But by the end of the weekend, I realized I had to be a photographer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's nice how life clunks us on the head at certain moments and sends us messages from the universe that now is the time.
1: Right. So I was almost 52. um, And so for 30 years, I let it lay dormant. I mean, I was always taking pictures, but not professionally. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit right as I had gotten started, which was really a blessing in terms of not a blessing, of course, but in terms of, I did a self-portrait series because I couldn't get in touch, I couldn't be in contact with anybody, and it lasted 60 days, and I really learned lighting, and so it was such a blessing for me in terms of my career, and now I just feel so blessed, I'm even more well-known as a photographer than a graphic designer, which is just baffling but when you're in working in your zone of genius you know when you're doing what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. doors open and things just work out the way they should so I'm really glad that I went to that conference on a whim Mm -hmm. I didn't honestly this is embarrassing I didn't even know where Toronto was I looked on a map right before I got on the plane (laughs) like where's Toronto I don't know I just was, you know, I'm really glad that I follow my gut and I was the conference. The reason I was swayed to go was Seth Godin and Elizabeth Gilbert were speaking. Yes, and so I'd love
0: to hear them.
1: So it was, it was great besides the fact that it changed my entire life.
0: Mm, <laughs> serendipity.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: I love it. Well, Hara says on her website that she helps people strip away what they're hiding behind reflect their beauty back to them and show them that they are a true work of heart. That's beautiful. Hara.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: And well, I'm looking at the pictures that you have, um, right now on the website that have women with words emblazoned on their backs, words that I'm guessing they chose, they
1: chose, which was very emotional.
0: Wow. Tell us about that shoot why how did that come to be and what was it used for
1: okay um so just to uh, backtrack a tiny bit was when i first started i decided to do it was right before my 52nd birthday and i was going to shoot 52 women in 52 weeks um but then COVID hit but i did 25 but before each shoot i would sit down and talk with everybody and it was i really found that people would open up to me and tell me their most intimate details and so um, I was doing a shoot with my daughter, and she suggested that she suggested this project that for herself, that she post, she, put, she choose words that describe her not what she looks like, but who she is. And so it started with her, And I asked on Facebook, just whoever wanted to do it could do it. And I think I shot 29 women. And it was so emotional. Most of these women I'd never met. And they came over and had, you know, painstakingly chosen these words like overcomer and beautiful things that they were claiming out loud, you know, that they, who they were. Um, But, you know, so they'd get half undressed from the waist, waist up. And then I would hand paint these words on them. So it was an intimate time, very intimate with women. I barely knew And then these words that they were claiming, and a lot of them were, had, you know, really struggled with the list, with the list of words, what they were willing to say out loud. And I know um, a number of them have the pictures printed and put on on their bathroom mirror so they can be reminded all the time.
0: Wow, that's powerful.
1: And so it was called See Me because that's why, that's how the podcast came about as well. It's about seeing a person's beauty beyond their skin. You know, I think what's beautiful about a person is the, you know, their, their heart, what light shines through, and it has nothing to do with your physical self. I know the most sexiest woman is the biggest woman I know because she thinks she's sexy. You know, Mm. she holds herself a certain way. So it's not about being a size or having a, you know, the right face. It's just about who you are. And that's how my podcast, there's a song by Labyrinth called Beneath Your Beautiful. And he talks about tearing down your walls and letting me see inside. And that's how, that's how the name for the podcast came about because that's what I'm, that's what I think is so beautiful about everybody is their story.
0: I could not agree more with you. And that's something that I endeavor to do via my work, but I don't have your talent. It it is just amazing. Everyone look at this website, hara.photography. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that.
0: And not only does she do portraiture, but she also does business shoots, Mm. business cards, professional endeavors of any kind. And it's Just stunning. Thank you for sharing your light with the world. Oh, thank you. So you talked about this, uh, these intimate conversations you had via your photography business as the genesis for your podcast. And your podcast is, is very deep, sometimes hard to listen to because people share really painful things. Yeah. And I wonder, have you had any blowback from guests or their families or your family? Because we as women, me in particular, I have in particular, have had a lot of secrets in our lives. And in my mother's Asian culture, there is a great deal of saving face. You just don't talk about certain things. And I mean my son is gay. And when we went to the Philippines, she asked him not to tell anyone he was gay. And I said, right. Mom, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one's going, he's not going to introduce himself as hi. I'm Chris and I'm gay. That's that's just a part of him. Mm-hmm. Like we're not asking uh, your granddaughter to say, Hi, I'm hetero. Like right. it, let's just let's just not go there. Yeah. So anyway, going back to my earlier question because there are so many people in our society who are in deep denial. Have you received any negative comments about the openness with which you conduct your podcast?
1: No, but um, I get a lot of comments like that everybody's brave who shares and that people are getting to know me better. Um, no, I haven't had any real blowback, but I do understand that it's hard to listen to, but that's the reason we have to listen. Yes. Because there's, a, I have just, I feel like involuntarily volunteered <laughs> to, take, <laughs> to take photos of people who are dying. There's a nonprofit Ooh. out of Seattle that is local, that is coming to Spokane, Washington. And, um, I, that is way beyond my comfort zone. I don't want to do that, but I have to, if I'm going to talk, talk about it, I should also be able, be able to witness it. And I think it's really important, my podcast, because I'm talking to people who are, you know, have lost a child or who can't get pregnant or who are one person who had cancer and has passed or has passed since the episode. But it's important to hear what they have to say about what's okay to say to somebody who's suffering, mm-hmm. to witness, to see them. That's the whole point is they, I want to be a witness for somebody. I want to, I want them to be seen because that's all I think I ever wanted, especially as the youngest of six children who I don't think I talked until I was 15, until my, the sister closest to me moved out. I don't think I had a word to say.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. And that so is a really interesting statement. Wow.
1: So I just think if I was dying of cancer, I have been scared of these things my whole life. I've been scared of people that are dying, or I interviewed somebody who's has no use of his arms and legs since birth. Um, and it's a, I, I photographed him actually, and I was so scared to photograph him. And then once I met him, I realized it's just a person, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. And uh, I, I, want to, I want us to stop being afraid of the things we're afraid of.
0: Yes. And I think that quote, now I'm forgetting to whom I should attribute it, that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Right, is, is something I try to live by because yes, I have fears too, but I don't want to live in fear, I want right. to live in my power. And for people like us who had low self worth for much of our lives, that is a really scary proposition. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it, both of us are living in our truth now right. and paying it forward, right. And I really, really appreciate that about you.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, you spoke earlier before we went on record about it having taken you almost a lifetime to forgive your mother. Mm. How did you mm-hmm. find it in your heart to forgive her?
1: So the instance where I she needed forgiving was she was pretty absent. In the house, she was a single mom with six children the between the oldest and the youngest I'm the youngest was only nine years, so we were clumped in there um, and she just was never really there even when she was there she was couldn't handle six children i don't know why she had six children
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: also, at seven years old, I was uh, sexually abused by a family friend and I told her, and nothing happened. Nothing, nothing. Eyewitness changed. I'm open to the idea that she tried to do something about it, but I don't know what was done because the person was still allowed to come over. And so I felt like I didn't matter my whole life, and also that she left, she abandoned me. She abandoned me while she was alive, and then she died when I was 18. So that just felt like more of that. So I guess I I learned to forgive her mostly by being a parent myself and failing a lot of the time and understanding that we really hold our parents up to this weird standard. You know, I am just a girl who happened to have children who knew nothing. And my mother got married at 15, so knew less. Mm. So so the more I parented, the more I forgave, and also I learned to question everything I believed, which, which has just helped in general, everything, my whole life. Um, just about myself, what I believed about myself. you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Of
1: course I mattered and of course I have worth, but nobody told me that, I had to learn it myself. And so it did take, it did take a lifetime. It took until I was about 52, which was right when I first spoke about the child abuse and was able to confront it and see what it was. I was very ashamed that my body responded Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I didn't know that was common. Mm
0: -hmm. It is.
1: And also that the, the counselor I went to said, your body is made to respond and that opened up. My whole world to me, because this shame I lived with for so long just really was was melting away by knowing that one, I wasn't alone, and two, that that's my I was I reacted appropriately. My body reacted appropriately. That's what your body's made to do. So, so I was glad that I finally talked about it.
0: Me too. Me <laughs> too. I mean, the Me Too movement in some ways allowed me to open up more about my experience as a child and um, survivor. And I I have read statistics from the National Center for, well, I can't remember the title of it, but the, the statistics are that one in four American women will have been sexually assaulted or abused in their lifetime and one in six men And because I am in recovery and go to a lot of 12-step meetings, I hear about it more than I do in Mm -hmm. society at large, that it's very, very common and it's very common to keep it secret. And yet, as I wrote in my book, 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life, if you don't process trauma, it's like holding a beach ball underwater. It takes a tremendous amount of energy And it pops up when you're not vigilant, it pops up in unexpected ways for me, especially when I'm triggered by something that isn't necessarily directly related to my experience, but it triggers a memory. And for Mm -hmm. me, I had to allow trusted women to bear witness to my pain in order to heal. And we've talked Tara, you and I about how we found outlets for processing what happened to to us as children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important listeners, if you have something traumatic in your background, please get help. There are so many online and in-person resources now available now that people are coming out of the shadows and talking about this very common thing that has happened to many people in our society. So please get help if you can. So you also had um, shared with me the wisdom that increases with age. One of the gifts of aging is that we're able to let go and be more open, generally speaking. In my experience, it seems like people either get bitter or they get more loving. And you are in the latter category, as am I, I hope that um, I'm not going to let my adversity take over my life. I'm going to use it as a force for good, as are you.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know the whole line and or the author, but, you know, the, what are you going to do with this one precious life?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's all we got. I don't know. I just don't want to waste it. I have felt that way since I was 18, but also I lived in my head. Yes. And now I don't, now I really, I really surrender to not knowing.
0: (laughs) So true. So true. Forgiveness is really a gift to us, Mm -hmm. to the forgiver, because the person with whom I felt such anger, they didn't care. They didn't feel it. It was corrosive to me. It was ruining my life, not his. Well,
1: another thing I've heard, which I just love is that. You know, it happens to you. How many ever times it happened? So just say it happened to me once, and then I replay it over and over and over in my head. And I'm doing it to me
0: mm-hmm.
1: over and over and over and over again. It really only happened once. So yes. I'm the perpetrator now. Yes. So, isn't that interesting?
0: So interesting. Yes, I have to talk back to that negative voice in my head often. Uh, my, my therapist said to call it what it is and say, I see you, shame, but you're not mm-hmm. welcome here and yeah. let it go.
1: Right. Mm.
0: Wow. This is a very healing conversation. I hope for people who are listening, who have not taken the steps of self-care and forgiveness and compassion for ourselves, because it has to start within us to release pain, anger, um, shame, nobody else can do it for us.
1: Right. That's where happiness lies.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love how being in this space of podcasters specifically who search out um, in-depth conversations on tough issues that we cross paths and cross-pollinate and we mm-hmm. share uh, our experience, strength and hope with one another in really beautiful ways. I'm so yeah. grateful that I got Thank to you. meet you.
1: Thank you. I, I don't even
0: recall how we our paths crossed. I just know that they did. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe if you can share one memorable podcast episode with us one that really sticks out in your mind as something that you that struck you because you do a lot of work in this area you have a lot of really intimate conversations with people and yet you have found such an array of people to feature Hmm. on your podcast so maybe just share one that really taught you something you hadn't considered
1: well, the, my favorite episode is I interviewed 12 women who have lost their mothers. Wow. And stitched them all together. Uh, and it was beautiful. One had lost her mother at four and one had lost her mother like at 70 something. Mm-hmm. And I, when I lost my mom. I was 18 and I read this book called motherless daughters. And so that's the name of the episode. But what I remember only remember about the book was that it doesn't matter when you lose your mother. It doesn't matter what age you are, how long you had her. There's this emptiness that you always feel. There's just a lifetime of longing. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely beautiful. Not all the women liked their mothers while they were living some revered them some didn't remember much about them it was just really beautiful and then I talked to everybody for about you know an hour and then cut down their comments to about seven minutes each which was torture for me but <laughs> it's just such a beautiful episode because it's just the good stuff you know it's just the poignant pauses I edit my podcast very carefully we were talking about that and I usually delete the pauses or shorten them. Mm-hmm. But in this case where they were feeling emotional, I left the pause and it was so beautiful. So beautiful. That episode just really, it's so lovely.
0: It sounds like it because it's a club that no one wants to join, but exactly. actually speaking, most of us will lose our parents before we go.
1: Right. And that's the thing too. I just spoke to somebody, I ju- I think he just aired I think it just aired. Yeah. Terry Tucker is, has terminal cancer. And he was saying, I don't know. I just think we, we are all terminal. We're all going to die. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, we are all just, who knows if it's tomorrow or 30 years from now, but we're all, we should all live like we are dying because we are, I don't know why we think we're not,
0: Indeed, Mm -hmm. we
1: all have terminal.
0: (laughs) We're all terminal. It's so true. And I think that as we age, most people I talk about aging with are more aware of their mortality. Yeah. When you're young, I remember feeling like nothing bad was going to happen to me or that I would live forever. It just seemed like even 20 was so old to me.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I think I've talked to many women who lost their mom and I in particular didn't think I was going to live past 46, even though I know it was irrational Mm -hmm. um, that many women feel that way, whatever age their mother was, they're just assuming they're going to, I always felt like I was going to die young and I was going to live for today. So I'm really glad to have surpassed 46, but also just to have lived kind of like this, you know, fuck it, kind of fuck it (laughs) mentality, you know?
0: I think that's healthy. You
1: probably I have, have them. I healthy too, yeah. So yeah. like, you know, I have the $400 silk sheets, which every day I get in my bed and think, I made the best choice, that ROI on that's those silk sheets. <laughs> uh-huh. I just, you know, there's no such thing as good china. All the, all the dishes are the most beautiful, you know, the glass sparkle as I could die tomorrow.
0: I agree. I agree. Live for today. Live. Mm -hmm. You don't know any one of us could die in a car accident. I think, hundred percent. But uh,
1: and also, we're all going to die. I think we have to remember that there's none of us getting out of this alive. And so, who just we just don't know how many how many hours we have left.
0: So true. And I remember my mother was very much a fatalist when I was a child, and she would say things like that, like, oh, you could die tomorrow. Let's live for today. And it used to scare me as a child, Mm
1: -hmm. thinking,
0: oh, my gosh, what if my mom dies? What will I do? I don't know what I will do. Mm -hmm. And there's something pretty, as you alluded to, very primal about a mother attachment. At least we've been socialized for that to be the case in our country.
1: There there is, isn't there just though, there's just this, there's this thing we expect of mothers and want from mothers and need from mothers. Mm-hmm. And because I have two grown daughters, I realized, <laughs> you know, I'm just a girl who they're going to be just girls who have a kid one day and then have to be on this pedestal that is really hard to fulfill. And one of my daughters keeps saying she doesn't think she's going to have kids. And I'm just really like, damn it, because how is she ever going to forgive me more? Like, you know, the more, <laughs> I, the more I parented, the more I forgave my mother. and I need her to do the same.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Yes. My daughter said not too long ago that she doesn't want to bring children into this messed up world. Uh,
1: yeah. How old is she? Mine's 22. Who said that?
0: Mine's 27. Yeah. I, I hope actually, she like, changes 26- her mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, if they want kids, I don't want them to bring in kids if they don't want them, but I have to say that my kids kept me alive. Mm
0: -hmm. They kept
1: me, you know, in the dark times, I was a single mom. My kids were two and six when I left their father and there was a lot of, you know, I almost lost my house twice. There was, it was just hard. Mm -hmm. And there was a number of times where I just, it would have been easier to just drive off the road, but then there was two kids at home and I couldn't do it to them. So Mm -hmm they gave me purpose. So I hope that they, if it's not children, they find their purpose.
0: I completely relate when I was in the depths of my own despair, feeling that way, completely relate. What's one thing you did differently as a parent based on your childhood?
1: Oh, well, I went to, except for one that I'll never forget. I went to every event, I went to everything that they did and my mother did not ever come to anything. So I was really, I really tried to be present, but also I failed in that, you know, I was a single woman besides being a single mom. And I was lonely and, you know, not always available. And so that's what made me understand my mother more. Mm -hmm. Just, I was also a woman Mm -hmm. and, and lonely and scared in the world. I was really scared in the world. I felt I felt for a long time that I was untethered mm,
0: mm-hmm. because I didn't
1: know my or my value until I until I found until I understood me, I feel a lot more at peace with me. But for I, a long I time agree. I didn't, and I was always looking to men. That's also another common thing I have found that women who have been sexually abused have been promiscuous, which I was, but the I the thing I want people to know is that it was never about the sex. I don't even think I knew what an orgasm was till my mid (laughs) thirties. It was about finding love. And in the only way I knew how, because that's what I was taught that it's through my body. And so promiscuity is an interesting thing because it's nothing about the sex. Well, it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. It was always about, this is how I get somebody to fall in love with me. And I find that that's been true for a lot of women
0: for me, it was the power. I knew uh, I wanted to have the power before anyone did anything to me.
1: Yeah, I see. So that.
0: I used it as a weapon. Um, but we, we both have grown from our experiences. Yes, and they're yes. Just one part of our story that has yeah. informed how we live today and how we pay it forward to other women uh, who who may benefit from learning our stories.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: So the one question that I ask all guests is, Haro, what do you do to become your best version?
1: I really think the answer is, I just question everything I think. Everything I think I know could have another possible answer. And so, you know, Byron Katie says, If you thought the way they thought and believed what they believed, you'd act the way they acted. Mm. And so that really helps the same thing with myself, questioning myself. Like sometimes I'll do something instinctually and then have to even, I don't even know why I did something. So how can I know anybody else's, how can I ever really know anybody else's thoughts or feelings? And so I'm just, I just, I'm open to not knowing. And I think the questioning everything is how I'm finding my peace.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. Oh, that is powerful, beautiful, wise. And thank you for sharing that. My goodness, I don't often get the same answer to that question. Occasionally there's overlap, but yours is by far the most interesting one I've had in quite some time. So thank oh, you, thank Mara. you.
1: Thank
0: so you. Check out Hara's um, wonderful podcast called See Beneath Your Beautiful and her photography at Hara, H-A-R-A dot photography, or check out the show notes. And we will be back again next week with another inspiring woman. See you next week.